Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to go back a little bit. I'm going to try to finish chapter 2 today. I'm going to go back just briefly to the very first verse, first three verses. And I'm going to read it a little different. Um, I think the mounts, yeah. If you read in the New King James or King James, it says, in, and you he, he made alive who were dead in trespasses. The he made alive in italics doesn't actually appear in the manuscripts. It says, basically, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. I mean, that, those three verses are the most depressing things in the world. There was nothing good in us. We, our nature was, was, we were the sons of disobedience. We walked according to the, the prince of the power of the air. We were controlled by Satan. We walked according to the course of the, of the world. We were dead. But verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were in that condition, verse 5, we were dead in those trespasses. Even when that was the case, the actual case, he made us alive together with Christ. And the parenthetical thought there, by grace you have been saved, it was all according to grace. It was God's idea. He started it. He carried it out. He finished it. It starts with God. It ends with God. And the only thing we can do is just accept it. You accept it or you reject it. There is no other work involved in it. But he didn't, well, verse 6, he made us alive together with Christ by raising us up together and making us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that phrase, in Christ, happens so often in this passage. He wants to show us the riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ. And verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ. We're created for good works. God prepared it beforehand. It's not that we, we, we work to get God's favor, but because we have God's favor, we want to do good works. I was talking to a pastor friend. We went out for breakfast this morning, and we were talking about that, and it's like, you know, some people have distorted the grace message to the point where you don't have to live a holy life because God still loves you. But if you are in Christ... You have a motivation to live a better life than you have led in the past. 
we're never going to get it perfect. We're never going to. That's the paradox. The paradox is I can't live a perfect life. And then the paradox to that is in Christ, I am living a perfect life. Well, how can you say you're living a perfect life if you still sin? Because I'm not looking at me and my flesh. I'm looking at me and Christ. It's that man, that new man that's in Christ that is the real me. Now, I still fail. I still fall short. Sometimes I willingly sin. Um, we, we were joking earlier, you know, talking about Congress. I get to talking about politics, and, and I want to sin. I, it just makes me mad. I want to get over in the flesh. But when I do find that I, I get out there, then you run to 1 John 1, 9. And you say, Lord, I'm, I'm caught up in my own emotions. I'm caught up in my own crud. I decided to jump out of the sheep pen and into the pig pen, and I'm covered now. Forgive me. His forgiveness is right there. He cleanses you. He says, okay, get back to work. It's much the same as, um, you know, if you go into some of these ultra-modern factories where they deal with uh, electronics a lot, they have the clean rooms. Which is, I, I found it funny. I've seen several movies where they try to depict clean rooms, and almost every movie they'll have all these people in these, like the moon suits, and they're all they're all wrapped up so you don't get dust, and you don't get hair, and then someone will walk in in street clothes in the middle of that clean room. It's like it doesn't work <laughs> if you if you have. It's like wearing a hairnet in a restaurant, but you got a full beard, but you don't have a beard net on. <laughs> It's, you can, you know, it just doesn't work. But it's like having to work in a clean room, but you're filthy dirty. Well, God just doesn't put a clean suit on you. He cleans you up from the inside out so that you're completely clean. And, and you have to be clean from the inside out to do his work. But we get caught up sometimes just looking at our own thought life and our own motivations. And we get caught up thinking, I'm just a sinner. I've heard, you all have too, heard this expression all my life. I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, I was a sinner. I'm now saved by grace. It's a mindset really more than, than just an action. It's a mindset that I... I identify with my new man more than my old man. If I do that, then I will walk in those good works. But then he goes, he starts reminding them again in verse 11. Remember, the Gentile, you used to be Gentiles. I love that. You once Gentiles in the flesh. And then he goes into describing how the Jews looked at them. And we looked at this last week. The Jews, basically, they looked at everybody. You're either in, you're either a natural Jew or even a converted Jew. But I'm not so sure they didn't look a little askew at the converted Jews. But you're either a Jew or you don't count. And if you didn't count, you didn't have any access to get to the temple and to get to the presence of God. And it was part of the reason that God had a problem um, with the Jewish nation as a whole is while they kept the law and, and kept the sacrificial law, 
and were doing what he called in those areas. In fact, after the captivity, they got ultra strict with dietary laws and, and staying ceremonially clean to the point where they, they quit worrying about people. They started worrying about the conditions they had to meet to be right with God and forgot that the whole purpose that they're there is to be physicians to the lost and the dying and pull them in and get them, get them converted. And he says, look, you, you were that way. You were outside the covenants. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We looked at last week, the Greeks weren't any different. The Greeks divided up their world into you were either um, a Greek or you were a barbarian. And it all came down for them to an intellectual thing. If you speak Greek, then you're civilized and we accept you. If you don't speak Greek, we don't accept you. And you're a barbarian. We don't want anything to do with you. And they would get pretty vicious with people that didn't belong to the club. In fact, a lot of Greek society and even Roman society, they had um, the mystery cults, the mystery organizations. We've still got them today. The Masons. Masons is one. You've got to, you know, if you get inducted into the Masons, you know the secret handshake. If you have to have a secret, keep a secret to be involved in any society, it's probably not a good thing. Well, he did, he, and he would tell you. They went through, you know, the mysteries of initiation, and it was more silly stuff than it was, although I'm not sure that it doesn't, there's not some spiritual significance behind it. But because sometimes you can get, the devil will accommodate you even when you're just playing games. You know, kids, um, they, they want to play with Ouija boards thinking it's just innocent childhood fun. Probably 90% of the time, it just is innocent childhood fun. But there's 10% where a demon gets involved and somebody ends up demon-oppressed. And, you know, they have some real problems with that stuff. That all stems out of that Greek thought, that Hellen, Hellenistic thought, that if you're not an intellectual, you don't belong. You see it today, you know, you go on um, any college campus, and the, the, the faculty, they have high opinion of themselves, most of them. The few that I've seen that didn't are usually in the sciences, and usually they have Christian leanings even if they're not fervent Christians. Um, but they, they all kind of get caught up in this intellectualism. If you don't have a degree and you don't have an advanced degree, you just don't fit the club. Well, God doesn't care about degrees. He doesn't care about intellect. Uh, in fact, I was, this isn't part of my um, tonight's lesson, but let me, since I'm on this little hobby horse, I was just ended up studying something out this morning. I heard it referred to, and it's in um, 1 Corinthians, I want to say chapter 6. No, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul actually gives some of the um, qualifications to being a Christian. 
And if you look down to verse, it's down in verse 27, there are four qualifications for being a Christian here. And it just kind of takes it all out. It says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That's kind of the Greek philosophy. They, they wanted wisdom. But when it says foolish things, the Greek word there is moros. It's where we get the, the, the word moron. So God's number one requirement to be a Christian is you've got to be a moron. <laughs> well, I think we all qualify. It's, it's not like it disqualifies anyone. Um, where am I here? Verse 20, the end of verse 25. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. The word there for weak is uh, aesthenes. I think that's how you pronounce it. But it literally is the alpha to mean, uh, the letter alpha to mean negative, And it's the word for strength. So it means, rather than being weak, it means no strength. Yeah, it's, it's the exact opposite of a strong man. It wants, it's saying this is a person who has absolutely no strength, in, as in like a newborn baby. You know, they're not going to arm wrestle anybody. So you have to be a moron mentally. You have to be physically weak. Um, verse 28, God chose the things of the world that the world considers insignificant, Oh, that one means low or abased. It's a genus, which is, again, uh, it's the alpha, meaning anti, and genos, which is genealogy. So it means not having any family connections at all. And, and you think about it, um, I remember, um, um, I think it was, it was W, got into Yale, and part and his grades weren't that great, but he got into Yale in in a and no I take that back. It was when he went to Harvard to get his business degree. Part of the reason they allowed him in, even though he didn't have a great grade point average, a legacy candidate, his family had been to Yale or to Harvard, and I'm sure had given a lot of money to Harvard. Well, that's Genos. You've got a legacy. Mom and dad are, pop, are, are not popular, but powerful. Therefore, I'm powerful because Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't agree with everything. I think he's a little too bombastic for me. But the, one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard him say was, well, I'm pretty well a self-made millionaire because when I get ready to start business, my dad just gave me a million-dollar loan, and I started with that. And he acts like that's nothing. I'm thinking, my dad loaned me some money over the years. It was more in the neighborhood of he loaned me $1,000 to go get something that I needed. I think the last time I borrowed money, I was broken. I needed to take a, a college class to renew my teacher's license, and it was 1300 bucks, and I didn't have it. That was probably the biggest loan I ever got from him. A million dollars is a big loan. <laughs> he wouldn't have got it from anybody but daddy. Well, I don't fault him for that. If I, if I was a multimillionaire and my kids needed a million dollars to start a business, I'd be more than willing to loan them a million dollars. But 
normal people don't loan their kids a million dollars because they don't have them. Well, that's this. The um, Aegeanus, it's having no legacy at all. And then the last one, um, let me back up to the beginning of verse 28. God chose the things of this that the world considers insignificant, that's having no genealogy, and contemptible, that's exo, I think it's ex, pronounced exotheano, and it means to, to make light of. It's talking about things that you would reject with contempt. Uh, it's talking about inferior goods. It's, it would be, for my generation, it would be in the 50s buying plastic toys from Japan. If you remember the, the movie uh, Back to the Future, when you know Marty from nine, in the mid-80s went back to the 50s, in the 80s, Japanese goods were the finest in the world. That's where you got the best cars, you got the best electronics. Well, we went back to the 50s, and you know Doc Brown looked at these things, and he said, well, no, no wonder none of this works. It's all made in Japan. And Marty looked at him and said, oh, the best stuff comes from Japan. Well, to a 1950s mind, was like, no, only junk. That's the word. It's, it's things that you would reject with contempt because their quality is just trashy and no good. Those are the qualities that God says, this is the starting point for Christians. Morons, no genealogy, um, you're contemptible, and I forgot the other one. And physically weak, yes. That qualifies all of us. There's nobody, and, 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 and to be honest with you, even those that are intelligent, let's face it, Paul was probably one of the smartest men in, to ever live. The man had to have been a genius. And yet he said, I count all, all of those things, naturally speaking, to be lost. They're like a pile of manure to me. They don't count for anything because it's only what I know in Christ that's important to me. God says, I don't care. You may have been excluded, going back to Ephesians chapter 2. You may have been excluded by the Jews. The Greeks may have excluded everybody else. Everybody wants to be just, our tribe is important. The rest of you people are, you just don't count. But he says, verse 14, well, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us. Those walls of separation, and it's one of the things that really grieves me about our country. I, I read something the other day, one of my former students posted this, and she was very serious. And it almost makes me cry that anyone could could get out of high school and actually be a college student and be, the, be that ignorant. And she posted a thing on Facebook about uh, appropriating customs from other, other cultures. And she showed some white girls with dreadlocks. She so, showed uh, a couple of white girls with box braids. Um, she showed one wearing an Indian headdress. She showed one with, I think they're called binti 
sparkly beads where you glue them to your, it's the style in India. And on all of those, she said, this is appropriation and it's not right and don't do it. And I'm thinking, really? That was the greatest, one of the greatest strengths that the United States had was that when people came here in the, and came and, and became part of this country, they appropriated everybody's social, you know, what was good in their social settings and made a brand new social setting that was just American. We, we, I mean, I brag about my Irish heritage. I'm, I'm Scotch-Irish. But at the heart of me, I'm American. Well, what do you mean American? I mean, we're just part of a melting pot. Well, that's what Christ does. He took us that were far off. He broke down all of those. Now it's like the, the, <coughs> the intellectuals in our country want to start putting up walls and dividing us. You only can identify as black because your skin's black. You can only identify as white because your skin's white. You can only identify as Native American because your skin's red. The gospel is the opposite of that. He abolished all of that in his flesh because the law stood against us and he, he fulfilled the law and took the penalty for failing in the law. And in him, he reconciled all of us, but he did it by his blood. If you want to know the, the answer to racism, because I, I read several posts over the weekend where people said, if you go to church Sunday morning and your pastor doesn't condemn, you know, the, the racist things that went on in Charlottesville, Virginia, then you, go, then you belong to a racist church. And it's like, no, I don't have to get up every Sunday and preach against a specific sin. What you get up and preach about is the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin, and it makes it takes all of these different cultural, ethnic, uh, intellectually different, sexually different. It takes men and women, which that has always been a huge dividing line in every culture until you come to the Christian culture. We all become one in Christ. It doesn't matter how educated you are. So the thing I love about being in a, in, a, in a genuine Christian church, you can walk and look down a pew and you can see a guy in a, a, a $5,000 Armani, Armani suit who just makes oodles and gobs next, you know, in money and has prestige and is intelligent. And right next to him, can be somebody standing there in their raggedy blue jeans and they're both lifting their hands, worshiping the same God. And God looks at him and he says, those are my two kids. It doesn't matter whether one has money and one doesn't. It doesn't matter if one's smart and one's not smart, whether one's thin and one's fat. I don't care, they're my kids. I look at my grandkids, they're all different. They have diff very different personalities very different, uh, you know, they, they look different, they have different tastes, but man, they're all mine. And I just, when I get around them, I just want to hug them. They get so annoyed with me because I don't get to see them as much as I want to. So when I do get to see them, it's like, don't run off, especially the oldest one. He's now 13 and a half. 
he's getting that stage where he doesn't want to hug a lot. <laughs> and I have conceded that when when we're out in public, I don't I don't embarrass him by hugging him. We get home, it's like, buddy, I don't care if this embarrasses you. We're inside your four walls and nobody sees it but me. You're gonna come give me a hug. And you can just see him roll his eyes and it's like, oh man, but I don't care. I wanna I just wanna hug that kid till he pops. Why? Because he's my grandson. And it doesn't matter. I don't look at his grades. I don't look at, you know, are you good looking? Are you great at sports? You're just my grandson, and I just have an overwhelming love for you. That's how God looks at us. All he looks at, have you been been bathed in the blood of Jesus? Has the blood of Jesus, that's his reference here, that's all the Father looks at. And I, I read somewhere this week, and, and it, it's reminded me, when especially things like Facebook, and I'm on Facebook all the time because I run the church's Facebook page and I have to be on it. And there are times when it's like, I don't wanna read this anymore. There's, there's so much junk on here, I just don't make me do it, but then I have to get on it to get to the church Facebook page. And some of it, it just, it's like witnessing a car wreck. You can't take your eyes off of it. Somebody had, had posted something about and I don't care what preachers people listen to. Some I accept, some I don't really accept, some I agree with, some I totally disagree with. But somebody had posted this thing about Joel Osteen. He preaches another gospel, and he, doesn't, he believes there's more than one way to God. And I thought, well, I don't listen to Joel Osteen a lot, but that just doesn't really ring true. So I thought, okay. I'm gonna waste a few minutes, and I went over to the YouTube link and listened to what, what supposedly the proof that he preaches a different gospel. And basically, he was being interviewed by Larry King, and and um, Larry King, he, he Joel, I will say this about Joel, in that situation, he was not as bold as I would have been. But then, I would have been so bold, they would have probably never had me on there to begin with. But Larry King asked him, do you have to be a Christian to be saved? And Joel Osteen's answer was, and, and in some ways it was very mild, and it was, it was a good answer. His answer was, well, there are many ways to Jesus. But there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. Well, I've said that myself. If you get a billion different Christians, you've got a billion different paths that brought these people to Jesus. God deals with, with each one of us in a very unique way to bring us to Jesus. But if you're gonna to get to the Father, they all intersect at Jesus. You can't intersect at Buddha. You can't intersect at, at uh, Muhammad. You can't intersect any other religion. In fact, you can't even intersect at the Christian, quote unquote, religion. You have to intersect at Jesus. That's all he said. So it, 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 it reminded me, be careful when you read the headlines of something, because the headlines may not reflect at all what, what the person actually said. But I said all that to say when Jesus, when, when Jesus and the Father looks at us, or the Father specifically, he only cares about one thing. He cares about 
are have you immersed yourself in the blood of Jesus is his life active in you and are you active in it are you in Christ all of those are synonyms or synonymous with with one another if you're in Christ that's all I'm looking for if you're there he did that verse 16 so he could reconcile all of us it says verse 17 he came and preached peace to you who were far off I was as far off in sin as I could get when he showed up in my life well even when I was when I got saved at eight years old and I'm, I'm talking about when I came back to Christ at 28 but at eight years old when I got saved I wasn't out in, in any depraved weird lifestyle I was an eight-year-old kid you know, probably the greatest sin I'd ever done was lie to my mom and dad about, you know, stealing a cookie or something. Yet, I was still by nature a child of wrath. And I still needed Jesus. And I came to realize that at, at a church camp. And, and when the, the, whoever was ministering that night under that big awning said, if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to come down here and confess him. I got up and went down. It wasn't that I was horrible. By the world's standard, I was pretty good. But by God's standard, I was a child of wrath because I hadn't accepted Jesus. I, didn't, I wasn't covered in the blood of Jesus. He came and preached that to me. Verse 18, For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. That one spirit is the Holy Spirit through Jesus. Verse 19 says, Now therefore, now that we're in Christ, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I love that phrase. I'm now part of the family. I have a genealogy. My genealogy starts with my father, and ends with my brother. It's not hard. I don't have to go to Ancestry.com to, to look up my ancestry. It just goes from the Father down to Jesus, and I, he's my brother. <clears throat> the Greeks, and, and when Paul says this here in um, uh, Ephesians, what was that, 19, when he says strangers and, for, and foreigners, the Greek word there for strangers is xenoi, which is where we get the word um, xenophobe. You're afraid of strangers. Well, a xenophobe or a xenoi in a Greek culture, um, their life was not easy. They were, they were sort of like, um, if, you went, if you can remember going to school, there were occasions in elementary school where I wasn't part of the clique that I wanted to be a part of. And I would try to go fit in. And when you try to go fit in, they'd shame you. Oh, we don't want you in our group. No. You're, you know, especially if, you know, when, when you first started as a boy, when you first started being attracted to girls, you know, it's like, ooh, you smell. You're ugly. None of it may have been true, but... Let's face it, kids are cruel. And they didn't want you to be part of their group, so they would shame you to run you off. 
That's a xenoi. That's where we were. The other one, when he says we were um, foreigners, it's perioca, you know, perioconus. That's a horrible pronunciation. But basically, that is a step up. That's like um, someone who has a green card today. They're, they're not a naturalized citizen. They haven't become a citizen, but they are here in the country legally. Uh, I guess for Xenoi in today in American society, it would be probably describing an illegal. Someone who you know is in the country illegally, they have to stay in the shadows. If they get found out, they're liable to get shipped back out. Well, we're no longer either illegals, aliens in the kingdom of God, or even um, we're here, but we're still not part of the family. We've been welcomed in. We can go to dad. In fact, Hebrew says it, come, he challenges us. It's a command. It's in the imperative mood. Come boldly before the throne of grace. How can you come boldly before God's throne? Because I'm part of the family. Same way used to drive my wife crazy because she's mispolite. But anytime I went to my dad's, I walked up to the door and I just opened the door. Now, if it was locked, I would have to knock or I'd get my key out and open the door. Now, I wasn't rude. After I opened the door, I would holler and say, Dad, we're here. Can we come in? But I didn't knock on the door like a stranger did. That's my dad's house. Therefore, it's my house. And it, it, it violated my wife's rules of etiquette, and it drove her crazy. But I would, she could never get me to stop doing that. And it, it really bothered her. And I guess I probably should have stopped just because it irritated my wife. But I couldn't get past the fact that this is, even though I had never lived in that house, because Dad, had, he lived in half a dozen houses from where I grew up, but every one of them, if this is Dad's house, it's my house. And I just felt free to walk in anytime I wanted to. That's what God is describing here in, in verse 19. And then verse 20 through 22, he, he changes illustrations here. He says, verse 19, we're not strangers, but now we're fellow citizens with the saints. And we're members of the household of God, having been built, verse 20, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He describes the, the, the church as being this building. And, and I've said, if you, you know, with it being just the world situation, everybody's looking for the rapture. And that's the question on a lot of Christians' minds. How close is the rapture? Well, the rapture is as close as, it, as having that last block in the church building, the, the universal church having the last person get born again and that last block goes in and completes that building. When that last block goes on the top, we're out of here. That's all we're waiting for is the last person that's going to get saved before the rapture to get saved. That's why if you want to hasten the coming of the Lord, you need, you need to get involved in evangelism 
Start inviting people to church. Start telling people what God's done in your life. Start telling people, hey, this is a great deal. I used to be excluded. Now I'm included. I remember what it was like, and I never had a real problem on sports teams. I had a problem sometimes being popular in school because I was, I was a nerd and a jock. Uh, but when it came time to choose up for sports teams, I was usually one of the first picked. But when it came time for social interaction, I was usually one of the last ones they wanted to pick because I was Mr. Awkward. I was shy as I could be. And I just, I, if you picked me in your group, I'd sit there and wouldn't talk to you. I'd go days without talking. People had to drag words out of me. Well, now God says, no, I want you. I chose you. I want you in my family. You're an important building block in this building. And if you think about it, if you're, if you're building a brick wall or a, a concrete block wall, you leave one of those bricks out, it weakens the wall. In fact, when you, when you make a hole in that wall, you've got to come in over the top and put really heavy steel across the top of any hole that you put for a window. Otherwise, the blocks just will they'll collapse into the hole. Well, the body of Christ doesn't need any holes in the wall. We need every person to get in and, and become that part of the wall where they're called to be. Verse 21, it says, Jesus is the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a habitation of God in the spirit. We're part of this building of the church. We are an integral part. Paul talks about it in Corinthians. He says, look, the parts that, of the body that have the most dishonor those are the parts we honor the most. Well, usually that's not how it is. You know, and unfortunately, I'll be honest with you, in the church, that's not how it is. The church wants to honor the mouthpiece of the church. I don't have a problem with people honoring me because I'm a pastor and I speak before them. People are constantly, you know, well, it's one way or the other. They're calling me a heretic and criticizing what I preach, or they're patting me on the back telling you what a great, you know, man of God and what a great sermon and how great it touched you, and they're honoring me, and you've got somebody else over here that nobody even knows they hardly exist, but they spend hours in prayer every day. When we get to the Bama seat of Christ, the, the judgment seat of Christ, I guarantee you those, those little people that nobody knows that prayed heaven and earth together, those are going to people going to be the people that God calls out. Some of us that stood up in front of, of you know crowds and talked all the time, and and people saw us and knew us and honored us. God's going to say, "Yeah, this church was great, but it was all due to this little lady that prayed eight hours a day. You didn't. You just preached the word, and that was wasn't even you. That was my anointing that made the word great." And, and not, I'm not trying to denigrate what pastors do or what preachers do, but how we honor people and how God honors people, not even on the same planet, not even on the same plane. But the great part is we're all in it. We, you know, 
as a kid, you, 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 well, first of all, you didn't want to not get chosen, but even worse than getting, not being chosen at all, was being chosen last. It's like, oh, and then the, the two captains get in an argument over who has to take you. <laughs> That's really the pits. You know, I don't want them. No, you have to take them. It was your turn. No, I'm not taking them. And finally, you know, half the time, you just walk off. Well, I don't even really want to play. Well, you do. You just don't want to play under those conditions because you've, you've been rejected. Well, God doesn't reject anybody. We already looked at the four qualifications. You got to be a moron. You got to be weak. You can't have a, a natural name from your, you know, your mama and daddy and your genealogy, and God chooses things that are cheaply made. We're that plastic toy that won't last, you know, half an hour once you get it out of the box at Christmas time. That's the qualifications to get into the kingdom, which basically anybody qualifies, which is great. Because if it wasn't that base, I, w I wouldn't get in. I know I wouldn't have gotten in. Because I was that child of wrath. But thank God I am in because of his blood. And once I'm in, I can't look at somebody else and say, well, you're different. Your skin color separates you and me. Your intellect separates you and me. No. If you call on the name of Jesus, I call on the name of Jesus you better, you better learn to get along with people because I've, I've said it before and it, I usually say it jokingly, but it may not be too far off. When we get to eternity, may, God may, may make you share a room with them for a couple of hundred thousand years just so you learn to get along and accept them. Now, I know in heaven and in the new heaven and the new earth, we won't have our flesh, so we won't have a problem doing that. But we should not have a problem doing that down here. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.